0: So how do we follow on from the series that we've been working through in our recent, uh, the last sort of two or three months, the fresh teaching series, what comes next? Well, running alongside our, our uh, fresh, uh, our desire for a fresh move of God's spirit among us here in Carmoney has been uh, a beautiful, delightful, increased appetite for prayer. Um, And you'll be aware that we're in the middle of this 100 days of prayer, where we're praying specifically individually in a a certain way into Matthew 6.33 as we seek first the kingdom of God. We've been gathering and praying in the prayer room on Saturdays um, over the last couple of months. But here we are in this little period in between what was, I think, Um, a a 10 or 12 week teaching block. Uh, Advent is just around the corner. Christmas will soon be here, imagine. Um, But what do we do now? This little period in between, what do we do in these weeks? Well, between now and Advent, we've got three Sundays. And during my time off in in Donegal last week, which was wonderful for uh, mind, body and soul, um, last week God prompted me Um, in my own devotional quiet time, that um, during these next three weeks, um, we need to look at the opening lines of the Lord's Prayer. And so we're simply going to call these next three weeks Our Father. As we look at the words, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Lord's Prayer is familiar to many people. Even uh, I discovered this week that during the First World War, these little pendants were were created. Um, Hopefully you can see that on the screen. Soldiers going into battle war, Uh, some of them wore this little pendant uh, around their neck or maybe held it in their pocket and on that little pendant um, were the words of the Lord's Prayer. And and I was reading how when when some of those uh, young troops got ready to go over the top of the trenches, um, they would have prayed these words, our Father is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And and they drew strength from the words um, of the Lord's Prayer, the words that the Lord Jesus taught us in in relation to how we should pray. Some uh, well-known Christians down through the ages have made some big statements about the Lord's Prayer. The famous uh, reformer Martin Luther, Luther said this. He said, to this day, I am still nursing myself on the Lord's Prayer like a child. And I'm still eating and drinking of it like an old man without getting bored of it. Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, says this about the Lord's Prayer. He says it's simple enough to be memorized by small children and yet profound enough to sustain a whole lifetime of prayer. Isn't that good? Timothy Jones, another pastor, writes this. He says, to cultivate a deeper prayer life, all you have to do is say the Lord's Prayer, but take an hour to do it. There's a challenge for you this week. Say the Lord's Prayer, but take a full hour to do it. Albert Muller has a book that he's written on the Lord's Prayer, and it's called The Prayer That Turns the World Upside Down, The Lord's Prayer as a Manifesto for Revolution. I like that. The Lord's Prayer as a Manifesto for Revolution, for a revolutionized life and a revolutionized society. Pete Gregg, the founder of the 24-7 prayer movement talks about the Lord's prayer as being both a model and a map for us. He says that as a model, it teaches us what we should pray. And then as a map, the Lord's prayer teaches us how we should go about praying. And he says that when it comes to our prayer life, we should keep it simple, keep it real, and keep it up. Keep it simple, keep it real, and keep it up. Keep going with it. Don't overcomplicate it. And so this morning, here we are, we're thinking about these words, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. In essence, this is a call to adoration. It's a call upon us um, to have a, a heart that is stirred towards adoration, towards the Father. But to have a heart that is moved towards worshiping God and seeking His face there are two vital understandings. One is that we understand the fatherhood of God, the fatherhood of God. And the second thing is that we would have a reverence for his name, the hallowedness, the holiness of his name. And we could put it this way, the fatherhood of God and a a reverence for God will result in adoration, a heart that worships him, and is drawn towards him in adoration, and thanksgiving, and worship of who he is. So this morning, we're only going to think about the fatherhood of God. Next week, we're going to consider this call to reverence, to hallow his name. And then at the end of the month, we'll consider the call to adoration. The disciples asked Jesus in the passage that Len read for us, this life-changing question. Lord, teach us to pray. Can you picture them asking Jesus that question? Lord, we see these Pharisees, we see these religious leaders, we see people all around us praying. But Lord Jesus, teach us how we should pray. Teach us to pray. And Jesus responded to that life-changing question with a life-changing answer. He said, this this then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You see, worship is what God has ultimately designed for us to do as people here on earth. We are made, created to worship him, and in these opening words of the Lord's Prayer, The Lord Jesus intends that we would have a view of God that shapes everything about not only our prayer lives, but everything about who we are as the people of God. And so Jesus teaches us that our hearts and minds, when we begin to engage with God, begin to engage with one who is our Father. Our Father. The way that we view God affects everything. The view that you have in your mind and your heart of who God is affects everything, not least your prayer life. It would have been in Jesus' day kind of surprising for the disciples to be invited by Jesus, by by the Lord, the Son of God, to address God, um, the creator of the whole universe in such familiar terms. It would have been surprising for them because that just was not done The kind of reverence with which Yahweh was held would not have invited such familiar terms, Father. And yet Jesus teaches them that they ought to address God in familial family terms. Tyler Staton in a book um, that I'm reading says this. He says, Jesus prayed to the revered God of power and judgment with the familiarity of the term Father. And he says that this was an attractive scandal in Jesus' day. Isn't that good? This was an attractive scandal. He says it was scandalous for all the obvious reasons. Because people would have said, how dare you? How dare you refer to God in that way? Do you not know who you're talking to? Do you not know the one that you're talking to? But of course, that was the religious elite who took that view. And who held that opinion? But Jesus was inviting his disciples when they asked that question. And Jesus, the Lord Jesus, invites you and I and all of us this morning into a deeper level of intimacy with God. He invites us to pray to Abba, Father God. He is calling us to remember who God is. Yes, he is the creator, and the sustainer of all things. We thank God for that, don't we? He is all-powerful, majestic, creator of all things. But he is also father. He is father God. He is dad to us as his people. I think that the fatherhood of God reminds us of a a rich Christian doctrine that's often tragically overlooked in contemporary Christianity, and it's the uh, doctrine of adoption, I think we don't think about this often enough. Um, Wayne Grudem, in his systematic theology, a huge book on theology, um, writes this. He says, in regeneration, God gives us new spiritual life within. Then he continues and he says, in justification, God gives us right legal standing before him. But then he says this, in adoption, God makes us members of his family. Just think about that. Regeneration is when God gives us a new spiritual life deep within us. Justification, we're made right before God. We thank God for that. Only possible because of the blood of Jesus. But he continues, and he says, Adoption, what about that? What about adoption? What does that mean? when he says, it makes us members of God's family. You see, adoption, I think Presbyterians... Widely speaking, I hope not too many of them are listening on right now, but we can be good at teaching things like like regeneration, justification, and always we need to teach those great doctrines. But adoption, I think we don't consider this often enough. This beautiful Christian teaching that, that reminds us that we are invited into a personal relationship with God where God wants us to understand that we are his children, members of his family. You see, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus issues an immediate invitation. Think about that. It's the first two words. Jesus issues to us an immediate invitation to understand and remember who we're praying to, our Heavenly Father. This simultaneously offers us another important reminder, and and that is, it reminds us of who we are. Not only is he Father God, our heavenly Father, but at the same time, we're reminded, oh my goodness, I am his child. I am a son or daughter of the living God. In John's gospel, right at the beginning in chapter one, um, in the prologue to John's gospel in verses 12 and 13, John takes us right to the very heart of what it means to be a Christian. Here's what what John writes. He says, To all who received him, Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. You see, the most love-infused adoption is at the very heart of the good news. If you're sitting here this morning and you're not a believer or you're listening in online, and as yet you're kind of confused about who God is or the Father's heart for you and what that might look like, I want you to understand that at the very heart of the gospel, at the very heart of a God who has sent his Son to be our savior, our redeemer, and our friend. At the very heart of that is this love-infused movement towards adoption. And so at the very heart of what it means to be a Christian is this invitation from uh, God to, to belong to his family, to be adopted into the family of God. In John chapter 8, Jesus speaks to the Jews who were rejecting him as the son of God. And and therefore, in that same moment, they were rejecting God as, as heavenly father. And in that moment, Jesus speaks to an entirely opposite, actually frightening fatherly relationship to be at work. Will you hear this? John chapter 8, 42 to 44. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He, the devil, the enemy of God, was a murderer from the beginning. Not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him when he lies, listen to this when he lies he speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies. You see for the enemy of God, there is an enemy of God let me just remind us of that there is an adversary there is an enemy there is one who wants to wreck and destroy all of this that God seeks to do among us and in the world. don't don't be complacent about that, be wide awake and sober, alert to the reality that there is an enemy, and he seeks to destroy all that God is doing. But for the enemy of God, lying and deceiving, now listen to me, that's not only a choice that he makes, okay? He doesn't just choose to lie and, 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 and to, to tell you things that are not true. He doesn't just make a choice to do that. It's fundamentally who he is. He is a deceiver, It's his nature, it's his being. He can't be anything else. You see, lies and deception are actually his native language. It's the only language that he speaks. And this is really important because as we consider these words, our father, there is a fatherhood battle that goes on in your heart and mine, in the heart of everyone who walks the face of this planet. See, the enemy of God is the father of lies, and he always positions himself in direct opposition to the one that we call Abba. And that has really significant implications for you and me. I I often find myself saying to people, you know, check the voice that you're hearing. Check the voice. Because God will not ever, ever speak lies over your life. You know when you hear things like, I'm not good enough, or couldn't do that, or or whenever you hear that voice of shame that wants to just pull up stuff, remind you of how, how pathetic you are, or how despicable you are, that is only the voice of the enemy of God. Our Heavenly Father doesn't speak those things. It's not who he is, but the enemy of God, that is his native language. And so I think it's really important that as we consider this fatherhood of God, that you need to check the voice that you hear. Check it when you hear those messages that come into your mind and into your heart. Take a moment and think, is this this my father speaking? I don't think it is. Lord Jesus, cover me in your blood. I'm covered in the blood of the lamb. Take this enemy out of here. There is a fatherhood battle In Romans 8, 14 to 16, the apostle Paul speaks of the fatherhood of God in really powerful terms. Listen to this, verse 14 to 16. Paul writes, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit that you receive brought about, there it is, your adoption to sonship or daughtership. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Just pause and in your heart, just let your spirit check in with God. Be reminded that you are, if you are in Christ, you belong to him. You are a child of God. The enemy has no power over you. You belong to him. God has given you his Holy Spirit. He seals us. Seals us as belonging to the Father. I think the other side of that is if you're sitting here and you're thinking, you know what, in my spirit, I cannot call God my Father we would encourage you this morning to come and spend a few moments afterwards if you feel like God is speaking to you um, and that you would pray with someone um, in a few moments afterwards to discover uh, perhaps the first time in your life what it means to know God as Father, Heavenly Father. See, because of God's fatherhood in our lives, that has massive implications for who we are. Jesus wants us to know right up front and center of who we belong to when we bow our heads and our hearts in prayer. He wants you to be reminded that God is your father. That's where it begins. You're my heavenly father, Lord. Because of God's fatherhood and because of his adopting of us into his family, there are inherent implications for our relationships to one another within the church. You see, we've been adopted into God's family with other adopted children. They're sitting all around you this morning. Others who have been adopted into the family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, this is our spiritual home. We are family. We're members of the family of God. It's beautiful, isn't it? I often just think, wow, it's, a, it's the most beautiful place to be in, the people of God. We've brothers and sisters. We've got aunties and uncles. We've got, dare I say it, you know, those who are further down the line, more miles on the clock, grandparents in the Lord, sitting all around us this morning. Here they are, a great great cloud of witnesses, family. We're family. We are adopted into the family of God. And you know what? If you're sitting here and you feel lonely, you're never alone in the family of God. You're never alone. Don't we believe that? That's really, really quiet. We do believe it, don't we? (laughs) Don't we believe? We're never alone in the family of God. Yes, we do. We we totally believe that. Never alone. And if you're sitting here and you feel lonely, we want you to connect with us. We want you to check in with your brothers and sisters, your aunties and uncles, whoever it might be. We love you as family. Like any earthly family, let's be honest, there may be the brother or sister who constantly winds us up. There may be the aunt who just embarrasses us all the time. Or the cousin, who always wants to tell you how things should be done within the family. Perhaps there is that family member who always thinks they're right about things or the way that they go about things annoys you and winds you up. But as family, we love each other over and above all of that. We love each other. And by our love and unity, you know what? The Bible tells us that the world will see. The world will see the God that we worship, the God that we love, the God who has invited us into this beautiful, diverse, mixed-up family, this patchwork quilt where God's presence dwells, the father of lies, the enemy of God, He wants to do the opposite. He wants to sow seeds of division and disunity among us and in you, in your heart, among your family and among your friends. That is what he wants to do. I do sense more than ever that he wants to do that with those closest to you. Cause division, disunity, to split things up. But our heavenly father he only pours out deep family love upon us and his desire is always to pull us together in sweet unity. See, God is many things. God is everything. He's our creator. He's Lord. He's our master. He's our judge and defender. He's our great teacher and provider. He's sovereign. He's powerful in every way. But be reminded today, church family, that he is father. Be reminded that he's father. Father. He is our heavenly father. Everything that's inherent within the perfect fatherly relationship is ours. Through adoption into the family of God, the fact that God relates to us as father shows us very clearly that he loves us. He understands us. He tells us that he takes great care of our needs. He wants to be our provider. Tells us that God gives us many good gifts. Matthew 7, 11, How much more will your father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? He wouldn't be a good father if he didn't do that. We're told that he gives us the gift of his Holy Spirit. And it's the sons and daughters of God who are led by the Spirit of God. Paul says in Romans 8. See, this fatherly gift of the Holy Spirit guarantees our inheritance in heaven with our Father, where we will one day be with him forever. We're told that we're no longer slaves, but we're sons and daughters. Sons and daughters of God. And furthermore, we're heirs and fellow heirs with Christ. This is the privilege of adoption. And then we carry this family responsibility. We're called to be imitators of God as dearly beloved children, imitators of God, as his children. We're called to be holy because God is holy, to be like our father. We've been here before in the last few weeks, haven't we, to be holy as our father in heaven is holy. You know, I want my children to imitate me, That is my desire as a a father, a human father. I want my children to imitate me and then very quickly I'm reminded of how poor a father I can be. And then immediately I'm reminded again that that I only want people, my, my children or anyone else to imitate me insofar as I imitate Jesus. Insofar as I imitate Christ. The other stuff is all part of our sanctification, isn't it? We're becoming more like him The things that we struggle with, we deal with as we pray, our Father, lead us not into temptation. God, don't let me mess up again. Deliver me again. Help me to be more like your son, to imitate you well. I don't know what your relationship with your own father has been like. And maybe that, even me saying those words, is painful for you. But even if you've had the very, very, very best father, human father, I want you to know that God is 10,000 times, 10,000 times better than even the very best earthly father. He is infinitely better. He is perfect in his fatherhood over us. As we close this morning, um, let me just, I'm glad she's not here and she'll not watch this back. Our Molly loves to draw. She loves to draw. Um, Our boys don't (laughs) they don't draw. Molly loves to draw, and she often, over the last few years, has appeared in my study, um, when I'm sitting at the desk, and and she produces her pictures, her masterpieces, and that's from a couple of years ago. Things have progressed since then. Mr. Davies, Mr. Davies will be pleased to hear that. Things have progressed since then. But she often comes and presents her pictures and she just wants to say to me, Daddy, can you see it? Can you see it? Look at look what I've done, Daddy, look. Can you see us in our house? Can you see our family? Can you see the beautiful birds all around? Can you see it, Daddy? Can you see what I have drawn? Uh, And oftentimes all I see, to be honest, is a bunch of squiggles and scribbles on a page and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But the fact that my daughter is trying to communicate with me in love makes the scribbles and the squiggles on a page so much more valuable. And then you do discover little things like this. Just says love. And you think, wow. This love from the heart of a child, surrounded by squiggles, surrounded by squiggles, might not look like a lot, but to her Father it means everything. Isn't this so like our prayer lives? Sometimes all we bring to our Heavenly Father is a load of scribbled thoughts. Squiggles in our minds that pour out of us. Squiggles of worry. Scribbles of despair and heartache the torn pages of frustration, brokenness, comes tumbling out as a load of squiggles to the one that we call Father. Pete Gregg writes this. He says, our Father in heaven doesn't get distracted by our scribbled words and squiggled thoughts. He isn't impressed by the dictionaries and lectionaries that we hurl at the sky. Instead, listen to this, he explores our hearts with infinite affection." discern the kind of day that we've had, the way that we're feeling, and the weird little obsessions buzzing around our heads like blue bottles in a jar. And then he quotes St. Augustine who said this, God's ear hears the heart's voice. God's ear hears the heart's voice. What is your heart Crying out to your heavenly Father this morning. It might feel like a squiggle or a scribble, but God's ears hear the heart's voice. God's ears hear your voice. Your Father is listening. Let me invite the worship team. We're going to pray. And then we're going to worship God together in song let me invite you to stand let's stand together as we respond to our father in in worship let's just pause remember that this isn't just my words this morning It's the Lord Jesus who taught us to pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, straight from the mouth of Jesus. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your ear hear our heart's voice this morning. May your ear, O God, hear All of the scribbled and squiggled thoughts and desires within our deepest being. As messed up as they may be. The things within us that perhaps nobody else knows. The kind of messed up feelings that we have. Misdirected affections. The heartache areas of our lives. Even maybe this morning, the thought of of that word father breaks our heart open all over again but our father in heaven you're perfect in every way (laughs) and as we believe for a great move of your spirit in these days we lean in to listen for the still clear reassuring steady perfect voice of our heavenly father Father, God, remind us today that this is who you are. Simultaneously, remind us of who we are as your adopted, dearly beloved sons and daughters. And Father, for anyone as yet not a believer in the Lord Jesus who might be hearing your voice in these moments, speak to them, drawing them, drawing them, To the Father heart of God. We pray that by your spirit. They would have the courage. The conviction. To to do something about that. Before they go home this morning. To sit with someone. And and to begin. Not only to trust in Jesus. As saviour and redeemer and Lord. For the first time. But then to receive your spirit. And to call you Abba Father only you can do that work. And Lord, we believe for it and we proclaim it because we know how good it is to belong to you, how good it is to be a Christian, how wonderful it is to be those who belong to you, how good it is to be able to worship you in spirit and in truth, knowing that our lives are held in your hands. Lord, that you have redeemed us and rescued us, given us life in all of its fullness here on earth and life eternal in the age to come. So now, Spirit of God, lead us as we worship as a response to all that you're speaking to us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.